this uh, time the, together provides some uh, opportunity if you wish to ask uh, questions with the questions may be directly related to the retreat and therefore in terms of uh, meditations, experiences, reflections, a variety of concerns, <coughs> teachings, the inquiry periods, uh, the meetings with you, uh, the nature and more. So do feel free <coughs> to uh, uh, ask and I'll uh, endeavour to respond. I've put the recorder on and we'll assume that it's uh, okay for your good voice to be recorded uh, as well. If you prefer not, let me know beforehand <coughs> and I'll put it into the pause mode. So anything at all that you'd like to ask or uh, touch upon from uh, the days here, but also in the, the wider view of things can be included as well. Yes, so it, it's just asking questions, not inquiry. <coughs> From where you're sitting. So from where you're sitting, so, so if you have any <laughs> any questions that you might like to ask, I'll uh, respond. And over the period of time, forty-five minutes, plenty. Yes. I'm wondering um, what you think it is in retreat. The people that choose to come to retreat, what a common thread for the folks is. Like, because we're all such different people from different. I hope I'm asking the right question. Yeah, yeah, of course, yes, from fine. Different walks of life, and like for me, I find it very hard to sit still, and I, you know, we walk in a line up a hill, and I want to record it and put it on fast forward and play Benny Hill music and <laughs> find that mm. stuff really funny, and <laughs> um, and some of this. Mm. You know, I sit here and watch all these straight backs and people that sit really still, and I get spine envy. Mm. Um, <laughs> 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 I'm just curious to know, like, what is uh, there a common thread? You no, there, there isn't. In response to the question, is there a common th thread which brings people to retreat? I don't recognise any specific one. Uh, there is a genuine diversity of motivations and intentions <coughs> ranging from simple curiosity. A person has heard, perhaps met somebody else, <coughs> so they have benefit, benefited from a retreat. The person comes to a retreat to see maybe something of interest and value. Uh, another person has tried everything else still unhappy, still struggling, still a lot of suffering and therefore comes on a retreat. A person comes on a retreat um, because there are some sensitivities and uh, interest around what is spiritual in life. Can um, the Buddhist tradition 
uh, offer something which might be uh, supportive and valuable. Person uh, comes on uh, the uh, retreat out of uh, an experience which has arisen for them already, or experiences that may have happened spontaneously, it may have happened um, in taking some mind-altering drugs, uh, in the nature or with another, or others have travelled overseas uh, and other places, environments, cultures, monasteries has brought the person <coughs> here. Uh, the motivations and intentions also can change quite considerably uh, in one person, <coughs> let alone in the diversity of uh, people. I would find it hard to, in any way, to, uh, to actually narrow it down. And of course, as finally as well, uh, particularly in the hall here, there's a, a wealth of experience in uh, meditation practices, uh, the traditions uh, here, and therefore there is a real renewal going on as well. Uh, some people just come not for any special motivation or intention whatsoever. Perhaps just love the silences, love the stillnesses, love the teachings, love the practices, and feel very much at home in such an environment and have years and some of you here decades of experience with it and that brings the person as well okay yes please go to my notes yes do mm. I'm really interested in um, working with the critic working with the critic, critic with inner critic um, this stood out to me. So it's written on one of those laminated papers. Yep. So mindfulness of body as form formation of sensation sees through the self-critic. Mm. Yeah, I'd like to understand that. Yes, sure. More. Yeah, yeah. So in... Uh, can't quite remember what I uh, wrote there, but I, I, I get get the sense. So we've given plenty of priority here to really be with the body as it is. Elements, sensations, vibrations, warmth, comfort, the form, the, the shape of the body, the experience of it, to really stay close and intimate with it. In the actual direct experience, in this case of being right with the body there, there is no voice of self-critic. There is no separation for the self with the critic to arise and land on the body because one's intimately, closely connected with it. Obviously, we can't always, moment to moment, be with the body to kind of protect ourselves from the self-critic. Mm. self-critic is a habit that habit may go back a long way and because it's ha a habit there will be the tendency in the negative view in this case it might be to the body or to one's life or whatever mm. 
to repeat quite often rather similar words. It's a similar kind of reactivity that takes place. There is in that voice of the reactive, judgmental, something uh, rather hard in the way of looking. And the view which comes with it can be almost putting oneself into the courtroom. Judge, prosecutor, jury, sentence, uh, and so, so, so forth. Can be genuinely helpful. Can I listen, so to speak, to the softer voice? The voice which is not so hard. And so for one engages in the meditations, let's say, in this case, breath and body, yeah, one is extremely alert to the fact there's a tendency towards the judgmental, harsh critic, which goes on of putting oneself down, finding fault uh, with <coughs> oneself. And so while being with the direct experience can be useful at times just to deliberately and purposefully bring in the voice which has some kindness to it. And that doesn't have to be anything egotistical, there isn't any attempt to build oneself up, but it comes with a certain kind of humility, I'm a human being, spending this life on this earth, living one day at a time, actual, factual, clear uh, responses and bringing more of that in. And that will help to generate a softer, kinder way of looking at oneself or one's body or whatever the issue is. Go on. So, okay, so the critics, um, and then you're saying bring in a gentler voice. Yes. And I'm wondering as well, this self-love yes. as well. Mm. Is that the shadow? Is it like do they shadow of sorry I can't form it? No, you <laughs> take your time. So after a conversation with you yeah. about like sometimes I'm like, yes, I can do this, I'm gonna mm. you know, take over the world and then and then I'd wake up in the morning and like what's the point of it all? You yes. know, so there's mm. that extremity which is right crazy. Um and you said to me that that voice that says, I can do this, and invites the voice... Of the opposite. Yes. Exactly. So, so, that, so are they opposites? Yeah, so Sometimes I'm like, I love They're a duality. And the duality means there is some gap and polarisation. Mm. So the... I can, with the excitement and uh, energy that can go uh, with it, only takes a small change. Tiredness, drop in the energy, a night's sleep, mild change in the mood, and all that enthusiasm for what I'm going to do, then dissipates. So, uh, teachings are very, very much around finding some cent- central ground, some middle way there, between the desire to build oneself up and the reaction of putting oneself down. 
and far too much of life can be spent in this polarity struggling against putting oneself down and trying to build oneself up and there are far more important things to give one's life to and that's what we call the, the middle way yes, anyone please thank you yes sir uh, I have two questions from Chan. Very Please unrelated, do. that's alright. Yes. Um, so the first one relates to thinking, which thinking, yeah, sort of the negative kind of thinking or the harmful kind of thinking. Um, so here on this retreat, when we're doing a lot of meditation in this kind of isolated environment, yes, I found it quite not easy, but easier to yes. remain in a mindful state. Yes. But I can feel now, as we start to discuss going back to regular life. Yes. I would call it like rumination or an inner monologue beginning to come back where yes. I'm just planning or running through things mm. without even consciously intending to do so. Yes. Um, I find that with the meditation, during meditation you can get past that mm-hmm. and perhaps you can become more aware during the day of when you're doing that thinking. Mm. But the actual thinking itself for me hasn't become less prevalent through a year or two of meditating. Does it become less prevalent as time goes on, or do you simply just get better at noticing it and coming back to centre? So that was the first question. Yeah, um, I, I, let's do one at a time here. Uh, here. So, uh, with thought and the extra extension of the thinking, so in the relationship to uh, events, and need to know, in a way, where the vulnerability is. So in a situation where you are coming to, as well as others, to an end of, called end of a retreat. Therefore there is going to be a change. Uh, For some, but not all, the ending of something easily invites, because that's the view, this is ending, easily invites a lot of thinking about next, the ruminations and the thinking about is then triggered very, very uh, e- easily. So, part of the exploration and practice is to look at the relationship to ending and despite the view of ending, <coughs> can the sense of mindfulness and the practice in the more formless way, here we have a lot of form, just getting up tomorrow morning, going to the car, going to the next step. Have some sense of that um, being applied into the fresh situation. Yeah, yeah. So that one is not already, before entering into it, having a view it's going to be difficult. Once the view is formed, the view unfortunately will bring the outcome. So it, it, the these transitions in life. This is one. It's a small one. Uh, uh, one there it is truly to keep faith as much as possible with the one day at a time, not relying upon the old rumination of how it will be, and then that starts to get back into the old pattern. Keep to taking it just one day at a time, see how it is, you might be pleasantly surprised. It's much easier than you think.
Second question. Um, so my second question relates to one of the vows, the yeah. five vows, the last one. I've seen it relating to alcohol and intoxicant use. Um, yeah. I've seen it variously written as a vow not to engage in into- use of intoxicants yeah. and, and in abuse of intoxicants. Yeah. And I'm curious, you mentioned uh, mind-altering substances before. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. know that some substances can cause extremely insightful experiences that can be quite useful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, I wouldn't call that abuse personally, I wonder what your position yeah. slash Buddhism's position is on that sort of intoxicant use. Yeah, so the, re- re- the reference here is to the, to the ethics. They're not actually <coughs> vows, incidentally. They are trainings. Every, everything is in the training box so so to speak it is a training so that first uh, uh, training is a training to give support to life by not taking life not giving support to others who uh, take life wars executions killings and so forth the undertaking not to take that which belongs elsewhere, undertaking the training, but to engage in um, sexual abuse and assault and violations, undertaking the training to speak that which is true and useful. And then uh, the third one, the undertaking the training not to engage in toxicants which contributes to carelessness in the mind. It's very precise. The word is pamada, heedlessness, which or carelessness. And as we know, with alcohol, with um, uh, drugs uh, uh, there, both um, prescribed as well as um, plant-based, chemical-based uh, uh, drugs, they can um, lead and contribute to... Uh, carelessness in the mind confusion reactivity loss of mental faculties inability to see clearly and much much more there so in that uh, area whatever the uh, particular substance uh, it is some as you point out and others do as well genuinely find uh, certain uses of plant-based chemicals genuinely, at times, as beneficial. But not to underestimate, there is a vulnerability and risk that goes with it. And with the chemicals, one tends to rely on what those chemicals are and that they have been properly put together, etc. That is often not the case. Um, with the plant-based uh, as, as well, there, the wise use and the clear intention very, very easily becomes a habit, it becomes an addiction there, and it can act as a suppressive uh, and avoidance of things which one doesn't want to look at. So, there are benefits, but one does need to be mindful and clear that it doesn't uh, lead to anything problematic. So it's not a blanket, no.
on, on this. And some, I'm one of those, some of us like a glass of red wine. <laughs> we like the taste, period. <laughs> yes, anyone please. Yes, please. Good. Nice. I'm trying to also think of it as the observer and the observed. Yes, yeah, same, same. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. And so when you got us to not focus on one thing, one object. Oh, in the meditation, yeah, instructions yeah, today. Mm. Expand, mm. I, just got, I got lost, and I mm. think I'm not sure what I'm looking at because mm. there's nothing to look at. So, what I'm asking is, what's the point? What are we doing? <laughs> um, it, 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 it isn't easy. Genuinely, isn't easy. It isn't easy to uh, comprehend at the mental level. Mm-hmm. It isn't easy to explore it experientially. Mm-hmm. And even the exploration as an experience and to comprehend it at the, at the mental level, it isn't, still isn't easy to understand. It isn't easy to understand, for, when there is understanding, what the relevance is to apply. Mm-hmm. So it requires mindfulness, it requires meditation, it requires... Uh, uh, reflection. The bottom line is we do not live in the reality, in the authentic reality of subject and object. This is an agreed social event. This is the way we are conditioned and we are made to view the world. I am here, I am the subject, that is there, that is the object. And that construct is the most familiar one to our species. It's uh, used in conversations, thoughts, actions, etc. So it seems to be the reality. Viewing it as the reality, of course, also generates a certain vulnerability. It has to. No object can last. All objects, whatever it is, it arises, it will stay and it will pass. So it cannot give a support. Ultimately, it cannot provide security ultimately either. It is simply not possible to find authentic security in that which is unreliable, insecure, vulnerable to change. So then, as with the meditation instruction uh, this morning, there was an encouragement there to uh, expand uh, out and in a way rather let the world which is called subject and object, rather let the world in the being go rather quiet. Rather, rather, rather quiet. Rather quiet means that we're not refuting nor denying and certainly not suppressing the everyday there. But it is as if the I, the self, as the subject, and that which is the object whatever it might be very close at hand or around, it's as if it doesn't really matter, so to speak, around 
the characteristics of the subject and object. So the subject, which is in this case, it's called Christopher, it's called uh, Dharma teacher, it's called an Englishman, it's called white, it's called elderly, or what, whatever. As a subject, it's not really important whatsoever. The object, which is called certain people in the room with names and faces, which we kind of got to know, and the environment. So all of that is rather quiet in the being. So one is not fixated on the subject-object. Not being fixated on the subject-object is not to generate oneness. That's too shallow. It's not an ultimate truth. It's a, a useful and helpful experience, but it's not, not that deep. But it, it's in the reduction of the differences. I am here, you are there, this is me, that is that. It's very different. The differences will tend to reduce significantly. And in the differences of the subject-object, which tend to reduce, then can be begin to reveal and show in another way what all this is. And, that, and then one has a sense of an authentic reality not tied to the construct of interpretation called me in the world. Mm -hmm. Great. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. <laughs> yes, please, yes. Um, I, I read in your, um, your latest piece, um, I, don't, I don't know how I went to it, but maybe I'll, on your email uh, list, um, about the the Extinction Rebellion oh, yeah. uh, actions in London. Yes. And um, I'm just interested in um, your experience of the Extinction Rebellion Buddhists. I, I, I think yeah. that's what they call themselves. They do. Yeah, right. And in Sydney also there are some yes. uh, people who are uh, leading meditations, and um, I'm wondering what you find is really effective. Mm. I mean, I know these situations can be very varied. Yes. Um, my my experience today, when I had uh, quite a strong emotion, was to move, and in your notes you say. That, you know, there can be different ways yes, of course, yeah. different things. So, I was thinking about the motion, the motion, movement, yes. and, that, and that worked for me. So, <coughs> um, gives me a chance to um, speak of tomorrow evening. <coughs> so, uh, is it tomorrow evening? Yes. Jen has very uh, kindly organised a meeting. This is some advertising at this point. Um, uh, tomorrow evening at uh, 7 o'clock in the Workers' Club. The Lisbon Workers' Club. And the endeavour is to specifically address uh, those points that you uh, uh, just referred to about uh, Extinction uh, Rebellion and the explorations that, that are going on. And um, much, much more beside uh, providing opportunity for anyone to uh, speak a little bit, short, short time, 
answer questions. The intention is to have some small groups and some sharing going on on our understanding, on our clarity and the initiatives and actions. And, and the evening tomorrow will be fully devoted to that. Just in response to your question in the here and now, and thank you for taking the time to uh, <coughs> read that piece that I uh, that that I wrote. <coughs> the uh, Dharma world, Buddhist world, as most will uh, uh, refer to it, really has a really important uh, contribution to make, and that's generally uh, uh, recognised. And part of the reason is that the original ethic um, of Extinction Rebellion is non-violence, but non-violence with kindness. That's the key uh, uh, factor. This, of course, is so much in accordance and in harmony with these kind of teachings and practices. And the outcome of that is a growing degree of interest amongst the political activists to know ways to work on themselves so that they can respond wisely and not just get angry and start attacking the police or the system or or whatever. It is a really self-defeating process, the violence. And therefore there's a lot of cooperation and coordination. Activists as well have been have appreciated the commitments of some of the uh, friends, the, the meditators, some of the Dharma teachers who are very much uh, involved there, and giving that support, which is critically important, that the <coughs> inner matters as much as the outer. If we, you know, some of us, you know, we want revolution. We want fundamental, radical change, root and branch, down to the, every root of these institutions and the system which dominate our lives. Mm-hmm. There have been plenty of examples in history, but there was not an internal revolution. Mm-hmm. And the cost of that is that the corruption, the violence, the elitism, <clears throat> the 1%, then gets back into power. Both of the, the, the politics of the left, the politics of the right, and the politics of the centre, which is just as extreme as the politics of the left and the right. And that means that inner change must accompany outer change. They must be working together. One cannot be before the other. And that will make us effective, uh, uh, useful beings. And as I say, the, the Dharma practitioners have a supportive and helpful voice in all of this because we have practices we know about equanimity we know about love we know about clear communication speaking wise and useful speech, we know about uh, ethics we know about community building we have these resources there and we can learn a lot from the activists because they have a lot of experience in the political world uh, some of us do as well of course and there's a dialogue going on and that's a really important aspect of uh, what's happening. Okay, thank you. Yes, please. Can I just ask a quick question? Yeah, it can be quick or slow, um, easy. <laughs> <laughs> you said the other day, I'm not a Buddhist. Yeah, right. Mm. 
And can you help me decipher when you're a Buddha Dharma teacher and you're not doing this just Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, I was brought, a little bit of background here, I was brought up a Christian, as a Catholic. And having got one religion off my back, I was not too enthused to take up another one to replace it. I'm familiar with that. All right. Uh, But... but, um, and having the conversation, which I may have mentioned uh, during the retreat, where the teacher's also you know, just a piece of cloth with mm-hmm. regard to the robe uh, there, and didn't um, wish to be themselves identified uh, uh, with it, it kind of, for myself, as somebody who'd been on the road hitchhiking, travelling for three years, absolutely loved and, and, and a free-spirited way of life uh, there, was happy and enjoying uh, all of that. So I didn't ordain because of any crisis or any unhappiness or despair, actually far from it. It just seemed the right and next uh, adventure to engage in. So in that respect, even when I was a, say, even when I was a Buddhist monk, I wasn't a Buddhist monk. So the label is there. You know, often people have introduced me, oh, Christopher Titmus, the Buddhist teacher. I don't mind hearing it at all. I don't have any reaction to it. But for myself, I prefer to not to carry labels. I'm not English. You know, okay. you know, I just don't like carrying labels. Even though when I'm on the train, going from France, going from England to France, and then from France to Germany to to teach, and the ticket inspector is on the train, you know, Paris or Brussels, and, uh, and he's walking down, oh, bonjour, monsieur, bonjour, etc. Et he comes up to me, oh, good morning. Why, why, how does he? <laughs> you know, my, my head's on my shoulders, my eyes above my nose, but, but like everybody else. So sometimes people would say to me, oh, Christopher, you're so English, <laughs> etc. So all of this practice hasn't been able to shake it off. Um, and I do apologise. <laughs> and for its long history as. as as well, but it also feels imprisoning. It also feels if I if that is who I am mm. there, then uh, again it feels like there's a gap. So I prefer to travel very very lightly. I mean, I have to go like the rest of us through this silly childish little ritual. You hand over this little book, the look up. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Try walking around with being an Israeli. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, it's no, uh, honestly, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, the, the, both colonizers, but it's still different. Pardon? I said both colonizers, but it's still different. Yeah, yeah, yeah it. it, um, it I mean, it may, it may be, and it, and it does genuinely vary where, where, um, wherever we go uh, yeah. with, uh, with, with this. So, it's you know, the use of the language is fine. Um, in the Buddhist tradition, I'm English, or Dharma teacher, or, or whatever. But one knows it's the formation um, mm. by which we are known as subjects of object. That's right. That's right. Yes, anyone, please.
Yes, please, yes. Um, I just want to thank you for this week. I'm leaving with a big heart mm -hmm. and uh, lots of shifts along yes. the way. Um, I still have a little um, fear in the pit of my stomach mm. of leaving the support and comfort yes. here and my practice. And we spoke about it in our one-to-one -one about mm. um, the shift that I've had over the last few years. Yes. Um, not drinking alcohol and um, uh, practicing a lot more meditation and moving away from the circle of people that I used to yes. be around. And yeah, I guess um, a little apprehensive of, yeah. of going back with some more shifts and some yeah. more changes and and not fitting in yes. when I mm. go back. Mm. And, yeah. it, appreciate and also appreciate very much very much your, your kind and uh, thoughtful reflections that you are uh, uh, engaged in and as we see with the changes and the kind of evolution of our of our being sometimes that does bring about exactly as you point out some shift from sometimes under people we might have associated with quite a lot in certain circles certain tribe uh, we might say and in those changes uh, as we spoke together earlier there's a receptivity mm, uh, to to the new and appreciate the certain apprehension that come with that I can say here is to keep your good eyes and ears open for groups meetings meditations, uh, classes, one days, weekends, there's, it's a good uh, environment. Do you live in the area? Do you live around on here? On the Gold Coast. Yeah, on the Gold Coast. And you just keep your eyes and ears open of what and where things are taking place. And if possible, even with the parental responsibilities and uh, uh, all the others to see ways and means and as well as the renewal that can come of course nature the beach you know the, the sky above and uh, the earth below make good good use for uh, the nourishment as well is so important um, the youtube uh, some really some fine things on there uh, to uh, in the reading sometimes in the in the the poetry there some people will <clears throat> start up a small group and with so much interest these days in um, mindfulness uh, and associated there so a person based up not in perhaps to be a teacher but help just to lead it or facilitate it there with your good experience there and just the regularity of a small group of people getting together, everybody is nourishing each other, and that happens you know, once a week or once a fortnight, it would be an extra um, contribution, um, both for yourself and for others. So sometimes it takes the initiative of a person or two who has been on retreat, who has a real uh, appreciation for what's been taking place uh, here, and then just seeing ways to apply and implement that. And one of them is some regularity of the contact with the like-minded uh, there. And as you and I uh, spoke sometimes, 
even in the company of the like-minded. Sometimes the things that we hear and da da da, and some, it might show itself with some people that you have only to do this, you don't do anything else. And somebody else says, uh, this is the, the only way, it's the only true lineage or tradition, or this is the best practice, or whatever, in one ear, out the other. And more just what, it, what feels right and uh, beneficial for you, you keep that as your priority uh, there. Keep the heart and mind open, so one is not setting any walls or limits on the exploration. So everyone has the freedom to go to this particular group, shall we say, or this tribe, or this kind of retreat, or this kind of teaching, and just trusting with the diversity that your interest and your love and your spiritual sensitivities will give the guidance that's needed. They give you support and you can say, yeah, this is working for me, this is valuable, this I know already, or this isn't very helpful, and let that pass by. Okay, thank you. Yes, please. Yes. Hello, Helen from Maria's uh, question. Mm. And in the spirit of setting intent and yes. embedding change in my life, yes. I'm curious to hear more about the 40 days and 40 nights All right. you mentioned. Mm. And I don't, I realise I don't fully understand what that's about. All right. Could yeah. Talk to that again. Yes, sure. So. <clears throat> You know, we, we have to be uh, rather respectful if we wish to implement a change. If we wish to let go of something, start up something, keep something going, whatever it might, it might be. We are a little bit vulnerable, really, to being impatient. Oh, I tried it for a few days... Uh, you know, or whatever, for a retreat or two, and it just wasn't working for me. I mean, I, you know, I hear this far too often. So, then, <coughs> inspired by the Old Testament prophets, I went for this 40 days and 40 nights one-liner. So, as I said, let's say one is w- wishing to engage in something every day. Let's say just um, um, be, be mindful of, of the diet because that's something that goes on every, uh, every day to really be such that we're really eating conscious food and even if we're feeling a bit unhappy and a bit empty inside we're not going to slip into the junk food and etc. So I would say for 40 days and 40 nights to get into the rhythm of it uh, there and if you f- forget one day and you find yourself eating three bags of crisps <laughs> and lots of beanie sweets and so forth, say, right, oh, forgot. Then you start again. <laughs> That's the cost. <laughs> and it's an interesting one. I used to do this sort of thing when I was a monk. You had, of course, the time for it uh, as well. Uh, but... It, it kind of sets a direction and quite often the benefits and the change sometimes can come in extremely quickly 
And it can be that in the very hardest moment, when whatever it might be about, could be the last refuge of the ego. When you get that hardest moment, I can't do this, etc. And there's all the resistance and what's the use and all the doubts. It's the la- it could be the last stand of the ego. You know, and so we do the 40 days and 40 nights, you know, it's a kind of round number, really. You might, sometimes you just get to the other side of it. Yeah. A, a small example, not very dramatic, but simple. <coughs> Years ago, like most of, probably many of my fellow country women countrymen, like a cup of tea. <coughs> Years, years, years ago. And there always been sugar in the tea. We're going back now 30, 40 years. So made the quiet resolution to have tea without the sugar in. It took weeks. So every time I had a cup of tea, where's the spoon? <laughs> weeks. Uh, one's got all these years of tea with sugar yeah. and then there was a day or a moment despite the thought well, what's wrong with sugar anyway I'm only taking a spoon it's hardly going to kill me uh, etc but there was a day when there was a shift over and the shift over was I enjoyed the cup of tea without the sugar and then I knew it was over mm. and what's interesting I go to India there I go to see my chai wala. he puts the sugar in the tea and I love the sugar in the chai there but when I go back home no, no thank you the environment kind of shapes a little bit the taste buds interesting phenomena so just use it sometimes to be patient, hang in, stay steady, and then the change is made. Whatever. Yes, any other voice? Please. Just yes, please, yes. following on, another question, but mm. could be. <laughs> How long did it take you to enjoy coffee with soy milk? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> same. <laughs> Probably exactly the same with the sugar. Uh, again, you're right. And what's, I don't know how it is uh, in this the scene where, where I live is very uh, similar to the area around here the, uh, the, the networks and it also took going from the milk uh, to the soya some time and then in uh, uh, Totnes um, it has the highest percentage of vegetarians and vegans in the whole country it's the highest percentage of home births in the whole the whole country. It's got the greatest number of communities, the greatest number of organic farms, Steiner School with more than 300 children in it, loads of activists. It started up the Transition Town Movement, which went to 700 towns and cities around the world. You know, it's an active place to, uh, to be. 
And probably in the last year or two, I don't know if it's the same here, um, there was the uh, finding of oat milk, barista oat milk. <coughs> and the gossip went around the town like wildfire. Perhaps I shouldn't use the word wildfire here. But anyway, it went quickly. <laughs> it went very, very quickly. And in the shop which was selling the cartons, the litre uh, cartons, people said, look, the delivery is at nine o'clock in the morning on the Thursday. You've got to, if you want a carton, you, you've got to get there quick uh, for it. This is when it first started. And if one was there 10 or 15 minutes, it was gone. So people were onto something. And within a week or two, there were these shelves at 50 to 60 <laughs> cartons in the shop of this barista oat milk there. And it's become so popular that the coffee shops, especially the two main ones, it is the main thing to go with the coffee. So we've all become oat waddles. <laughs> and we, we happily renounce the soya without any effort. <laughs> Couple more questions and then we'll conclude. Okay, yes, question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I oh, know, but if someone has, I've already asked. So. Really? Okay. No. Um, you say instead instead of nature, you say the nature when you refer to nature. Just with that, I'm sorry. With you say um, the nature. The, the, the nature. nature. The nature. Or the nature. Quite yeah. Rather than just nature. All right. I'm curious about. Never noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll try and catch it earlier on. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's cold. cold. Pardon? Has nature got a small inner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it could be cultural difference. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, I can't remember noticing this, but I'll keep an eye out for whether the the goes in goes uh, in front of it. <laughs> yes, anyone? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, there are a couple of things floating around my head. Mm. I guess one, maybe the, the simpler thing, but following on from. Uh, last night's one-on-one um, -on -one inquiry around <coughs> the Gwenka's method. Mm, yes. And, mm. and the, the word um, equanimity. Yes. Uh, it, was, it was really interesting to hear equanimity described as the steadiness. Yeah. And that it was actually given as the, I think it was the four points of abiding in God. Yeah. So very yeah. But it's, yeah, I'm interested, it's not a word that you use very much in your teaching, although steady is a very, very familiar, very common word. Yeah. But just wondering about the, is there any departure from the two different methods of teaching Vipassana? <coughs> and it's interesting too, slightly a part of that, I've often thought that there is Vipassana taught very commonly, mm. and I always think of it as a Gwenka 
method. Mm. But I'm assuming actually here in the Bodhi tree that the Goenka method perhaps isn't taught and because it's the monk that's here. So then perhaps there are, I'm assuming there are other various teachers yeah. within the umbrella of the Pasana insight for seeing. Yeah. Well, I, so the question, I guess the question is, is particularly around uh, equanimity. Yeah. Is there any departure? Do you not particularly use that as a pillar? Um, I, I do, but just to <coughs> go back just a, a little bit with this, to the earlier points that you uh, mentioned, because I think there's a flow uh, here. So, you're right, generally speaking, uh, in the West, the good voice of uh, uh, Goinka, the emphasis on Nietzsche, impermanence, on equanimity, uh, has landed, so to speak, well with people, and quite often people will associate uh, Goinka uh, and uh, Vipassana as the tradition. Mm. Because only because his name is the best known in the West, mm. you know, in in the in these uh, uh, circles. But for those of us who are uh, engaged in the Buddha Dharma and including uh, Vipassana, um, Guinko is one of the voices mm. because we've done our training in the East. I was in. Uh, uh, strict you know, vipassana monastery. The word vipassana was Pali word, so that was the word that was uh, used. And I remember having a meeting because, with Goenka. This was in India, one to one with him. I was a monk at the time, and Goenka um, truly believed uh, that what he taught was the only true vipassana. And put that out quite strongly. That he preserved, to use his words, the the, the purity of the technique, this uh, kind of uh, language uh, there. And <clears throat> it's a view which he held to and subscribed to and put out very much. And there is a, a gen amongst his students a general consensus. But for those of us who have uh, many have decades of association with the Theravada tradition uh, and with Vipassana know full well there are many, many fine Vipassana teachers uh, east and west there and some of their contributions is, is remarkable mm. there. And with that, with uh, equanimity in a whole variety of ways, myself, it gets uh, mentioned sometimes, some retreats quite a lot sometimes, uh, very uh, uh, little as you point out, but that also applies to many other themes and concepts as, as well. Mm. With the uh, equanimity, using that uh, definition I gave yesterday, it's this capacity to be really steady. But, it, but it's steady in the, uh, the deep way so that the world of the polarities good and bad, right and wrong left and right um, uh, views of objects, states of mind 
that there's a certain steadiness in spite of. This is what I would refer to as equanimity. It's the ability to stay economous when there is a pull in the mind, such as an, a, an attraction towards, and one knows one does not want to go in that direction. Whatever that might be about, there. There is an equanimity required when there's an aversion, a reaction. And one knows that's not skillful and not wise, and that also requires our equanimity and our steadiness. But it's more important even than that, though that is precious, to have a real sense we can deal with life in a non-reactive way. That's the equanimity. But what's beautiful and profound about it, and why it is in the the world of God, to use um, the Buddha's word uh, uh, here, is despite all the insecurities and the unchange and the changeabilities and all of that dynamic, there is something unshakably stable in this universe. And the, the sense and the recognition uh, and the knowing and the seeing uh, of that so, equanimity, deep and profound uh, as it is, it's not an end in itself. It uh, carries with it, so to speak, the remarkable potential to reveal something greater than itself. And this, and this is why the equanimity... One of the reasons why it is so deeply precious, it is an intimation of what the ultimate truth is about. It's the intimation of that which is vast and liberated and truly steady no matter what happens. And, and, and that's the voice, uh, uh, the whisper, we might say, about uh, equanimity. It's not just to use it in the face of the pull of the pleasures and uh, the reaction against whatever it might be, pain or issues. Its it, it, it purpose is for something else. And all of that, the regular use of equanimity in the Theravada tradition, around impermanence and unsatisfactoriness and uh, self and, and so forth, really is a preparation so that the world is not hassling us, our mind isn't hassling us either, in order to be receptive to that which is greater than that. And that's part of the beauty of this, uh, of equanimity. It's an extraordinarily insightful uh, observation of the Buddha. Exceptional, actually. Right, yes, please. So, and is that that you're talking about yes. in the, is it Pali or Pali? Or Pali language, Pali language yes. Referred to as Brahma. So, is that where the God comes from? Because where, I'm, where I'm, the, what, I missed the word. Where the God. All right. Because to me, to mm. for me mm-hmm. you know, my tradition really is more yogic. Yes. And God's fine. Mm. You know, we use God. But um, really, in. Generally, I seem to understand that um, God isn't used in Buddhism, really. Oh, yes, he is. <laughs> That's what I'm asking. Yeah, I'm all right, all right. I'm excited about that. So, 
So, <laughs> bring on the, God. No, no. <laughs> is, 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 that, is that the approach? No, the view, no, 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 the view here. In ancient India, as today, you know, many, many, many people believed in God and or, or believe in God. They genuinely do. The Buddha was not uh, interested or giving priority to any kind of belief in God. It's just not his thing whatsoever. The skill is, the teachings and practices were intended to meet the deep needs of all human beings. One person, she or he, may have a leaning and feel quite comfortable with the language of God. So he used it. Others of us do not find any particular connection or relevance uh, with that word G-O-D. And therefore one has the, the freedom not to use it. It is not the priority. It is simply a three-lettered word. So it's in the, in the being. So at times, as I uh, mentioned, there will be reference to abiding in God. Because the word God in Pali Sanskrit is Brahma. You can't fudge it. it that's what it means. And to try and take some other word like divine misses the point, no matter what the scholars uh, uh, write. And... And for others, and for many, and that's part of the uh, the interest in the uh, in the tradition, it's really it is genuinely unusual to dispense with that kind of religious language. It just isn't relevant, and therefore we have a practice. We do not have to have any belief. We do not have to any speculations about whether there is a God or there isn't a God. It's just not the priority. And therefore there's much less chance of having a faith crisis that I believed in God, now I'm full of doubt. And if I may say, over the years, in different parts of the world, priests and monks and nuns have been on retreat, in this case, uh, the Christian uh, tradition or the Jewish tradition, you know, the rabbis and so forth, and sometimes have had something of a meltdown on the retreat because simply the beliefs which had been developed and studied year after year after year suddenly stopped making, stopped having any agreement inside, and that can be painful. And the same applies as well. It's not as though the, that doesn't happen in the in the Buddhist world as as, as well. So, as, so it's the, the yogis may dispense with the word God. Some yogis love the word God. Some Buddhists like the are quite at home with the word God, um, but the majority prefer to be without it. 
over the 50 years of connection with the Buddhist tradition, the word in the monastery hardly ever got used. Uh, but the word Brahman is used? Yeah, I mean, the word Brahma is used uh, there, but uh, it's um, not used in the, in the same way that uh, in terms of what the Buddha's pointing <coughs> towards. So when we sometimes hear in the traditions, God is love, the Buddha would agree with that. God, God of the heart is compassion, it is appreciative joy, it is equanimity. Uh, the, the, this is uh, the God of the heart. It's good, like that. And, and I like the language of it person, personally because sometimes it's shifting the God out there to the heart. And I think it can sit well with with with, uh, with people, yeah. but freedom of language is very very important. And I mean, I mean, with, with Christianity, which I love, and as I mentioned, have a long-standing uh, connection in various ways, the school and others. Yeah. To give a little little uh, 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 contrast here. The missionaries would come when I was a monk to the monastery because they heard that there was this Westerner living in this monastery. I was the only Westerner in the monastery for the first couple of years that they would come. And they were missionaries converting uh, Thais just outside Nakhon Tamarat and some 16 hours from Bangkok. So it's, you know, it was remote. And little incidences of uh, life so the missionaries came and the missionary uh, said once was um, only uh, Christians can get in touch with God and nobody else smiled yes so um, he, he, he said in order to reach God and to communicate with God, one has to go through his son. There is no other way. And the na- and his son, Jesus, is like the um, telephone operator. <laughs> so to reach God, you have to go through Jesus, the telephone operator, to reach God. <laughs> and I said, that's in, that's, so if you telephone... To Jesus, you get to um, And I said to him, it's a bit of a problem for us because we're Buddhist monks and we don't use telephones. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't see the, <laughs> the humour of the. <laughs> But as commented on uh, uh, a little bit earlier today, um, the exploration of uh, interreligious life is a really precious one. 
if I may say, a few years ago, or quite a few, must be 20 years ago, there was a, a meeting of the monastics. And we stayed for five days in a Christian monastery. So Buddhist monks and nuns came, and Christian monks and nuns came, and we spent five days. And that, because I'm what they call it, a post-monastic, I'm going to finish my monastic life. So, very, they very kindly asked me if I would facilitate these five days there. I actually imagined or thought that the issue would be the God issue. Mm. You know, one is you know, for God, and the other little reference to uh, God there. It, it barely got a mention. The five days... A, lot, a fair bit of it concentrated on the difficulties of having to live with people that one didn't choose to live with. <laughs> it was more about the interpersonal <laughs> tensions <laughs> and love and a whole group of people living together 24-7, you know, things build up, you know, <laughs> little things build up. And in one of the, one of the monks from one Christ, one of the Christian monasteries, as soon as you ordained, you get your cell, and you one door in the cell leads into the back garden of the of the monastery, and the first thing that you do is you dig your grave, mm. <laughs> and. To remind one every day that one's life is going to end one day, and you so every time you go into the garden, you walk past the grave <laughs> which you are going to go in. It's, you know, it's a fairly you know clear reminder um, uh, there. And I and I said to one of the monks, the Christian monks, and they have a you know, contemplative tradition. I said. What Buddhist world can't get past the idea that we can be comfortable with the word God using it in the sense of the vast, the immeasurable, the expanse of things, and that this is God, you know, we can accept that. But we can't get past the idea that God loves us, that God is some kind of person who loves us, this great person who loves us. And how could the, God, the person who loves us, permit? These tragedies and, and, and nightmares and on on, uh, on this earth, and uh, the Christian uh, monk, he said to me, "That God is for those in kindergarten in religious practice. That God, the God who loves us and cares for everybody with all this suffering and." It's very hard to bridge. This is the God for those in kindergarten school. Interesting. So sometimes a little bit deeper, we uh, can touch upon and connect with. Uh, uh, and, uh, there's some in the religious life which I. You know, I've put, I don't know if I've got it on there, but uh, the fours and the gates are there. 
And they, I said to Jen, how much are they charging for uh, the retreat? You know, per, per person, etc. He says, no, no. Uh, the abbot says it's on the dana, it's on the gift, and, and, on, and on the trust. And the spirit of that, I think, is beautiful and it's precious and, uh, in, and uh, important and religious life and generosity and the, the kindness makes it possible and it's the same for myself when I'm teaching in the Thai monastery in Bodh Gaya or Radha who now teaches there myself in Saranath where the Buddha gave the first teachings there the abbot in the Bodh Gaya where for many, many years, always on the dana, so we, we would collect and we would offer dana to the monastery to, as a gratitude and appreciation. And the abbot of the Thai monastery in uh, Budgaya, he uh, made me smile, he, he, he said, look, you've been coming here more than 40 years and you've been very kindly offering uh, the dana to give support to the monastery, and he says, that now can, that can stop. Uh, he said, we will provide the cooks, we will provide all the food in the future years, and, is in, and this is our dana to you. Mm-hmm. And that, that's kindnesses. Uh, uh, it's, it's inspiring, I find, and, 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 heart, and heartwarming of the love and the generosity. There. So let, let's, you know, the receptivities that we uh, have to recognize the limits of religion. Buddhism's got plenty of them, like everything else, but not let the limits of it overshadow some of the beautiful aspects of it as well. Okay, let's have the quiet minute, shall we? Thank you. beings engage in the expanse of the human experience. May all beings keep alive curiosity and inquiry. May all beings live with much happiness and wisdom. So it's uh, five minutes to nine, mm-hmm. and uh, 
the bell ringer would ring a 15 minute break to stretch the good legs so so ring the bell at 10 past and shortly after that we'll have a a sitting together through till uh, 9.30 thank you for lending an ear (coughs) Thank <coughs> you.